0: Early on in the story of the Jewish people in exile in Egypt, were they really in Golos or were they living in the lap of luxury in Goyshen, which may have even been their ancestral land? And what about us? Is Golos for us that difficult all of the time or or are we in control of the experience of Golos? Watch how the Rebbe takes Rashi's interpretation of words right at the end of Parashas Vayigash to give us a perspective not only on what happened historically, but what our focus in Golos should be. Here are the words. the end of the the <coughs> the parasha saying, it's actually in the last of the parasha, It says, The Jewish people lived in in the land of We'll see what those words mean in a second. and they multiplied greatly. two interpretations of what that expression means. There's a simple explanation which Rashi gives us. It's, so to speak, their land, their inheritance, their estate. Then there's explanation of the Medrash, which obviously is not Pshat, which says, means they were captured by the land, they were held by the land. Like a person is being held against their will. In other words, the translation of the word is not from the word which means like an estate, but which means to hold the land, is holding them. Now, the reason why Rashi, in the Pshat interpretation, does not want to say that the root of this word is to hold, is because because the Pshat tells us, straight after this, that they multiplied. That sounds like they were already successful. That implies that the words illustrate how they lived in the land of Goshen. They lived in a way that led to them being highly successful and, uh, and growing. Therefore, logically, according to the Pshat interpretation, the Midrash words don't work. That they were living there against the will. Well, it sounds like they were growing and succeeding. That doesn't sound like something which is against the will. When a person is in an environment against the will, they typically don't succeed and grow. The word itself doesn't lend lend itself to translation of being from Achiza to being held. Which in the context of the Pshat would mean they held the land. Because simple grammar tells us that can't be the interpretation. Then the the, the, the pronunciation of the word would have been with a and they held the land. Not the way it's actually written, with the aleph is in a comments, which is a reflective verb. Which means they were held by the land. So the pshat would not work with translating the word as achiza. But the issue is this. We've seen so many times that you always have multiple interpretations of a, world, uh, of a word aligning. The Rebbe said again and again. When there are various interpretations from our sages on a single word or a single concept. It's not that they're altogether different. But to the contrary seeing as they are interpretations of a single word you have no choice but to say there must be a link between these interpretations because they're all translating the same word now that doesn't seem to be the case yeah the two interpretations that we have quoted not only do they not appear to be linked they appear to tell us opposite messages Pshat when I go with Rashi's simple understanding of the pasuk, Rashi saying it's their land, it's their achuzo. it's their estate, they're totally in control. The Medrash is saying what appears to be the exact opposite. The Medrash is saying actually they're being held by the land against their will. So how could you have two opposite interpretations of the same phrase? So the Yuvan, that will be understood by looking at what Rashi said a little earlier on in the Pasuk, where Rashi's interpretation is a part of the Pasuk that introduces whatever is supposed to mean. What does Rashi tell us? Rashi says, the Pasuk tells us the Jews settled in Egypt. Says Rashi Veheichon, and where in Egypt did they settle? Be'eretz Goshen, they settled in the territory of Goshen, Shehi Me'eretz Mitzrayim, which belongs to Egypt. Wow, that sounds like a lot of words to tell us something that surely could have been said more simply. So the commentaries tell us, well, Rashi is saying this, there's a question you'll have on the language that the Torah uses. Be'eretz Mitzrayim, beerets Goishon. Why use that expression? Tell us, in Egypt, in Goshen. That sounds like they're two different territories. Therefore, she has to clarify for us. No, actually, it's the same place. Where in Egypt did they live? In Eretz Goshen. So you, you have to, to interpret the passage as if the words went as follows. They settled in Egypt. Where within Egypt? In That's what it sounds like according to the Mefarshim. But it raises three questions for us. Number one, after Rashi has told us, and where? In Goshen, why does he have to again tell us that Goshen belongs to Mitzrayim? Isn't that self-understood from the context? The Pasuk said, the Jews settled in Egypt. And then you could qualify which province or which territory, Goshen. Why do you have to then again tell us, and Goshen is in Egypt? When the Pasuk already said that. Question number two, Beys. The Pasuk also is difficult to understand. Why does the Torah have to tell us that they settled in Egypt and then say in Eretz Goshen? Let the Torah just tell us they settled in Goshen. And we'll know that Goshen is in Egypt. Because the Torah in this parish has already told us clearly that Goshen is a territory of Mitzrayim. Why do you have to explain it again? And lastly, if the only thing bothering Rashi that he wants to clarify is why the Torah uses convoluted language to tell us in Egypt and in Goshen, don't think they're two separate places, they're actually the same. Why did Rashi in his headline include the words and the Jews settled, which apparently he doesn't seem to be explaining? So, what's Rashi doing for us? He's addressing a different issue altogether about the status of what it is for Jews to be in Goshen. Rashi is addressing the fact that this Pasuk seems to contradict something we have already previously learned quite a bit earlier in Barathez, where, in Barathez Lechelcha, in the covenant that Hashem made with Avram Avinu, back in Lech Lecha, he told him, Your children will be aliens in a land that is not their land, and eventually they'll leave that land, and when they do so, it will be with great wealth. In other words, the message before the Jews will settle eventually in the promised land, Eretz Yisroel. They will first have to go through a period of exile. In which time there will be foreigners in a land that is not theirs. That's the message. That's the promise. That's what's supposed to be happening over here in Egypt. And in this passage, it does not seem to be happening. How then is it logical to say, How can the Jewish people fulfill this promise, which is foreigners, aliens in a land that isn't theirs? When the Torah is now telling us they were very settled in that land. A foreigner is not a settled person. Here it says, And they settled in Egypt, from the word toshav, which is a citizen, the opposite of a foreigner, which was what they're supposed to endure, being foreigners. This is what Rashi is bothered by. How did you say that they settled in a land where they're not supposed to be settled? And not only did they settle in the land, the question is increased by the fact that it's where in wherein Mitzrayim did they settle, which Yosef has already clarified earlier, is the best part of Egypt. And the Torah is telling us over here that they have, so to speak, ownership or mastery over what becomes like their territory. It became their land. That does not sound like being a foreigner. You're living in the best part of the world in a settled way and you own the land. That explains why Rashi's headline includes those words, words Because Vayesh is part of the problem. Part of what's bothering Rashi is how could they be so settled in a place where they're supposed to be strangers and foreigners. Because as we metar at the Torah addresses that question, and we only know this because I'm avur bepirush Rashi, because that's clarified in Rashi's interpretation. Aliday Yisafas Teves be'aretz Mitzrayim, because the Torah tells us Goyshen is in Mitzrayim, or as Rashi says it, shehi may eretz Mitzrayim. Yes, Goyshen is a lush place, but it is Egyptian. In other words, soif soif gomeretz Goyshen, ichelik gomeretz Mitzrayim, ve'eno eretz Kenan. Whichever way you look at it, Goyshen is not the Promised Land. It is very much Egypt. So if the Jews are in Goshen, comfortable as it might be, it's Golos. It's not where they belong. The fact that they're not in Israel, which is the land where they belong, they are strangers in a foreign land, which fulfills the promise to abram of at the Covenant. Okay, so... Sounds like a technicality, right? It's not yet absolutely clear, especially when you look through the lens of mysticism, of the deeper parts of Torah. Why was there a Gahlos? And is that goal being fulfilled by living in the lap of luxury in Goyshin? The intention of, of being in the Egyptian exile was, it was, as the expression goes, this cauldron that was supposed to refine the Jewish people so they would then emerge at a level where they deserve to not only leave, but to more importantly get the Torah and eventually go to Eretz Israel surely that refining process requires some discomfort some feeling like an alien if they are comfortable and feeling like owners of Goishon how do they fulfill this particular requirement? that question is an even more serious question when you look not from the Pshat perspective, as Rashi has given us, but when you look from the Drash perspective. What does that mean? Now that we have been told, at least according to Rashi, that the meaning behind the expression is that it was an achuzah, it was their ownership, their land, their territory, their estate. That sounds like Goishan remains Jewish land or Jewish owned, Jewish territory. That doesn't seem to make any sense. How could anybody suggest that a piece of Egyptian land is Jewish territory? The land of Canaan, which subsequently becomes the Holy Land, that is the inheritance of the Jewish people. That's what Hashem promises Avram, and subsequently Yitzchak and Yaakov. This is the land that will be the inheritance of your children. To the exclusion of Egypt. How could a piece of Egypt be considered? their land? Okay. The truth is, if I'm staying just at the simple Pshat level, this is not an earth-shattering question. Because being in Goishan is something that they did for 210 years of being slaves in Egypt. But if you're in a place for two centuries, it's not a stretch to say it's your territory. That's pshat. But when you look from the perspective of drash, now you're looking at the deeper meaning. It's not a good enough answer just to say, well, you're there for a period of time. It's not considered your land. It's not considered your land because the Torah says, clearly, your Ahuza, your Yerusha, is a different land altogether. Okay, so we'll try and attempt. So the Radak, uh, not here, but on Sefer Yeshua tries to answer that, well, Goishun maybe did become Israeli territory at some point. Or Jewish territory. Better way to say it. When the pasuk in Sefer Yoshua tells us that Yoshua conquered a territory called Goshen according to the Radak, that's Koyal that's actually talking about this same biblical Goshen which belongs to Eretz Yisrael, which then became absorbed into Jewish cities. In other words, at some point in the future, it will become a Jewish part of the world. But because the Yehuda and in Sefer Yeshua Goshen is listed as part of the territory that belongs to Shevet Yehuda according to the Radak that includes what was previously part of Egypt the Goshen of Mitzrayim now becomes the Goshen of Israel okay. So maybe with a little bit of a dray of the finger we could now say that actually the expression is referring to the fact that later on it will become Jewish territory through the conquest of Yeshua. That now we're considering Goyshen a Jewish land even though it's only going to happen formally in the future under Yoshua's leadership. However, it's actually a really difficult explanation. It's a real stretch to say that at a period in history, when the Jewish people are living in Goishan, we're already going to name it or classify it as Jewish territory based on an event that is lying in the future centuries later, when that land of Goshen will be absorbed into Israel because of Yeshua's conquest, that's a really difficult explanation that we're going to determine things now halakhically, based on future events far down in the future. Well, perhaps there's another angle for this. There's a different Medrash that tells us that when Sora Emeinu, after having been captured by Paroi, was then released with great wealth. Part of that great wealth was that he signed off the land of Goshen to be hers, to be her territory. Which is why the Jews eventually landed up over there later on when they came down with the Akis family, because they now had an ancestral claim to this land. And then, of course, we could say, Oh, it is their Achuzah. It is their land because it's inherited land from Sarai Imenu, from an event that happened centuries earlier. Great answer, except it only strengthens our original question. If Goishan is Jewish territory, how is it Golos? How does it fulfill the deal that Hashem made with with Avraham Avinu that your children will be foreigners in a foreign land? It's not a foreign land. It's our ancestral land from Sarah. Well, if it's our inheritance from Sarah, we're not foreigners in a foreign land. We're at home in our own land. So the only way to answer this is to dig into the interpretation, according to Chassidus, what was the Golos all about, and specifically the details of the slavery that are described in the Torah are supposed to, <coughs> are supposed to represent for us something that we could have mitigated through spiritual focus and intention. And maybe Goishan offered us an opportunity that we missed. The human happy hamavur b'Teira oyer d'al tereb explains in Teira b'chol proto b'avodah shalgalas mitzrayim that all the details about what the slavery looked like in Mitzrayim, which are b'avodah kasha hard work b'chaymer b'ilvenim using the various materials, the cement and the bricks, kayomim gamba ifen ruchni, are all also represented in spiritual terms be'isek ha'Teira in how we engage in proper learning of Teira. K'dizah b'zoyhar d'al tereb quotes the Zoyar that says b'avodah Kosha, that word difficult. Work, That's asking deep, challenging questions About what we learn The material and cement that they used That is the mental gymnastics Of understanding how you extrapolate things Based on the Kalvachomer principle That is the clarifying of the correct halacha Which is what we call the bleaching of the facts To get the halacha Libun and levenim are related words In other words Says the Alter Rebbe, if a person schwitzes and works and really invests in Torah learning to the, to the point that it's exertion, then that person doesn't have to go through the pain of Golos in Egypt because they've experienced the pain of hard work in learning Torah. If you do it spiritually, you're exempt from experiencing it physically. Actually, this is something in Pirke of Kol two of Mishnah. The Torah says that anybody who accepts the yoke of Torah, and the words of it, they are very precise, not just that you learn Torah like, you know, for leisure, you take on the yoke of Torah. That means that a person accepts that they have to work their way with exertion through learning Torah, not just be satisfied, oh, I learned it, I understand it, move on the Mishnah promises that person will have removed from their life the yoke of the the politics, the government, the leadership, in other words, Golos, and the yoke and difficulty, the exertion of trying to earn a living. So when a person exerts themselves in spiritual dedication to Torah, it mitigates various other types of exertion that are not so pleasurable. That is the key to understanding what's happening over here in Goi'shen. Gambi Goshen even when the Jews were living in the comfort of Goshen, which is possibly an ancestral piece of land of still in that comfortable environment. the Jews experience what Golos is all about, how so spiritually there was a Torah set up that Yaakov and his children established a yeshiva system in Goshen, they exerted themselves in the spiritual challenge of learning Torah properly, which exempts a person from Golos. They could have gotten a ticket out of Egypt, a get-out-of-jail-free card. And that gives us another insight from the richer perspective of of Rashi, in the words of Rashi, tells us on Rashi says is not that the land grabbed and held them, but rather they had mastery over the land; it became their estate. Because here we're describing the first phase of their experience in Mitzrayim. When the Jewish people are now settling into this land, they obviously don't know where things are going to land up. At this time, there is no slavery. There is no physical exertion. Nobody's whipping them and and getting them to schlep bricks. At this point, their experience is the exact opposite. They experience we're living in the best part of Mitzrayim. We're in our own land. Even the other people living around them acknowledge this is Goshen, it's Jewish territory. Where they are free to choose how they behave, and they have no responsibility to conform to what Egypt wants. So, where is the Golos in that? Well, the only exertion, so to speak, of Golos is. Working hard to learn Torah. But that still leaves us with a question. If the fact is that the land of Goshen is an inheritance the Jews got from Sarei we still have the question, How could you ever consider this being aliens in a land that is not theirs when... Legally, the land is theirs. The explanation for that is as follows Yes, it's true. Goshen belongs to the Jewish people because it's part of their ancestral heritage from Sora. Still, it's land that belongs to them, but it's not like their land, meaning nothing is going to translate Goshen into the great spiritual experience of Israel, which has this incredible oversight from Hashem at all times. And therefore, that's considered being in exile, being strangers, being foreign, while they are in Eretz Goishon, even before things turn sour and they become real slaves. The Jews at that time still felt a sense of pain having to live in a place that doesn't have that special oversight of Hashem that Israel has. And therefore, even furthermore, this land is not their land, meaning to say it doesn't speak the language of spirituality that their land does that's already being slaves that's already being in pain that's already being in golos because they don't feel comfortable in this uncomfortable environment that's only at the beginning of the process even though at that time they pretty much controlled the space and they did what they were supposed to and they exerted themselves in into their learning as good as they were spiritually in Goyshin, it definitely was a step down for how they were in Israel. And because there was a spiritual decline by being in Goyshin, that created the possibility of a worse decline into real Galus afterwards meaning as follows. After this, gentle period passed. After, as we'll see in Pashas Vayechi, Yosef passes away, and everybody from that generation passes away. Well, when Yosef and Co. are no longer alive, there's a natural decline in their exertion of Torah learning. And they started to forget that living here is uncomfortable. In other words, they started to acclimatize to the land of Goshen. Oh, so now you're no longer exempting yourself from the pain of Golos. Through the pain of Torah, so what happens is they start to actually become slaves. And the pain was so great that each day was as if they had just arrived in Mitzrayim, been rethrown into this difficult experience. They forgot what Eretz Israel means to the Jewish people, they even forgot the significance of being in Goshen. And then the Jewish people start to feel the pain And the distaste of being in Golos Rashi told us that up front That's what Rashi emphasizes The Jewish people settled in Mitzrayim They settled in Goshen And then he tells us Even that wonderful place Goshen It's still Egypt Rashi is kind of giving us the timeline. Yes, in the beginning, the experience of being in Egypt, albeit Golos was gentle. We're in Goyishen; things are good. It's our land. It's an ancestral heritage. We're all good. Avlii, Mitzrayim says Rashi they needed to know they're in Mitzrayim, even if it doesn't feel so oppressive. gufa Rashi is telling <speaking> us the fact that Jews are living in Goshen instead of Israel. That is a decline. That is being captured by Mitzrayim. We say And a phenomenal thing happens. That even though Goshen originally is the best land for them, It actually turns out into the worst land for them. It becomes part of Mitzrayim. It becomes where they live as slaves. As soon as the Jewish people did not completely utilize their opportunity to serve Hashem through exertion and thereby exempt themselves from their Tzoros, as the Pasek says, that what happens when we become complacent and we become materialistic, we reject our connection to Hashem? As then in that same place, which becomes the, the uh, domicile of the Jewish people throughout the whole of Golos, the place that originally was their home, becomes the place of their pain. And that explains how you can have two opposite interpretations of one phrase in Torah. Because now we understand that their so-called mastery over Goshen, that it becomes their land, is directly aligned with the purpose of Golos. Why are they thrown into Golos? Because now we understand that their so-called mastery over that it becomes their land, is directly aligned with the purpose of Why are they thrown into Not to be punished. Even though the Pshat, as we've pointed out, doesn't automatically tell us that they inherited the land. That was something we found in a Midrash. It wasn't in the Pshat. (laughs) That they literally inherited the land from Sarei Meinu. But Rashi did hint to the fact. He calls it an Achuza. Achuza is a phrase that, that actually does relate to. Inheritance becomes my land. And then furthermore, as we've already illustrated, when we look at it from a slightly more esoteric perspective, which is hidden, embedded inside Rashi's interpretation, we get it. What do we get? The intention of putting the Jews into Mitzrayim was The only reason Jews are in Golas Mitzrayim is only in order to be able to capture... <coughs> the potential holiness, the sparks of holiness that are buried inside Mitzrayim and take them home as we well know that is the deeper meaning of the fact that they cleared out Egypt when they left the Gemara tells us they made it like a granary that was empty of grain or like a, a reservoir that doesn't have any fish left inside of it that by being in Egypt through the course of the slavery the Jewish people managed to extract every one of the holy sparks that had exploded into Mitraim and other places in the world from the world of Toyo highly intense holy sparks that were embedded in Mitraim. They got them all and therefore the place is now empty and Rashi's already telling us that story that's what Rashi says means it's their territory they take it over the purpose and intention behind the Golos of Mitzrayim is That the Jews should inherit the embedded holiness of Toyo that's scattered all over Mitzrayim. As the Frida Kerber once said, how does Yerusha work amongst the nations of the world similar to the Pasuk that says if the person doesn't have a son these are in the Torah's laws of Yerusha the next in line to inherit the person is the person's brother paternal brother the Pasuk tells us Yaakov and Esav are brothers therefore we as the children of Yaakov are in line halakhically to inherit the sparks of Olam HaToyu. Olam HaToyu is Esav's domain. So Esav's not using and elevating those sparks of Toyu. So we get to extract them and take them back to the world of Kedusha. And that explains how you can have two seemingly opposite explanations of one phrase and they're not actually opposite. As Rashi said, the simplest understanding of the boys, it's now their place, it's their domain, it's their stomping ground. Because if you read the story at a simplistic level, which is what Rashi wants to address, At the time those words are used, the beginning of the, ex- of the exile in, in Mitzrayim, the, the, the difficulty hasn't begun yet the slavery hasn't gun, begun yet in Parshas Vayigash so we're in charge we've got the place we're using the place as we wish all you see looking at the picture at this point in the story is the Jews have the upper hand they have Gershon uh, they have Goyshen under their belt and they're using it in the best way possible but if you look a little deeper, which is what Medrash does, that digs beneath the surface, then the Medrash alerts us, hang on a second, it looks good, it looks like we're in control, and at the same time, the land has grabbed us. That it's against our will that we're being held in this territory. Because as we've already mentioned, (coughs) (coughs) yes, good things are happening. Yes, the Jewish people have control of this territory. But the very fact that they're in Goyshen is a decline for the Jewish people. And that decline has opened the possibility, which will manifest later, of being captured and enslaved in Mitzrayim. Therefore, the Medrash is telling us, you know what's actually happening? The land is actually grabbing them now and will later drag them down. The two are happening in tandem why from a deeper perspective is the medrash insistent that the land has to have this hold over them that rashi already alluded to Rashi in the deeper layers that rashi embeds in his commentary he's already alluded to this that word in addition to telling us that they have this power and this control and it's their land, also alludes to the fact that the land has them. Why? Because if the land didn't have that control, if they didn't get sucked into the goddess of Mitzrayim, they would not have had the opportunity to release the Nitzaytas of kedusha that are in, hidden within Mitzrayim. Now that they were slipped into the, the goddess and they became Avadim, they did access those Nitzaytas, and they did elevate them, which was the purpose, and then they leave with tremendous wealth. Of course, there's much that we can interpret from that to understanding our role in Golos, and in Hashem, our success in being able to go to greet Moshiach Zikenu, the